At RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like Him. We are committed to being gospel-focused and motivated while we are biblically holistic and humble. As a church family, we want to be in and in the community while being a place that is multi and next generational. As we reflect Jesus in our words and actions, we are united in and honoring diversity. And in all of this, we will prioritize relational and missional discipleship. As we look to the next generation, we have a loving, selfless, always present, and ever caring example in Jesus. Let's be that in our community. All right. I don't know about you, that time change kicked my butt today. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's just getting older, but like, I literally didn't even realize there had been a time change. I just, my alarm went off and I was like, what? And it wasn't until after I showered and looked at the clock and I realized this is, this is a symptom of getting older. So anyway, so glad you made it. So um, I was so watching a TikTok recently and as an old person, yes, I actually know where TikTok is. Um, and a, a video on TikTok, this guy was asked this question and the question was, what book has the most annoying fans? And he said, well, that's easy, the Bible. He said, no one has ever knocked on my door and asked me if I want to talk about Harry Potter. And first of all, that was very funny. Um, but second, I, I, after reflecting on that, I realized that the people knocking on this guy's door and asking him to talk about the Bible were likely not even Christians. They were likely Jehovah's Witnesses. They were likely uh, Mormons. And I began to think about our relationship that we have as Christians with the Bible. And so I want to ask you a couple questions today. And I don't want you to raise your hand. I want you to answer in your head. Don't elbow anyone. Don't write it down. Just think about it in your head. And these are not meant to be shaming questions. But I'm trying to get at something I'm chewing on in my head. So if you're a Christian, I'm going to ask you three questions. The first question is just honest answer. How often do you find yourself reading or listening to God's word outside of a church service? Just process the answer in your head. Second question, how often do you find yourself processing the Bible and talking about the Bible with your Christian friends? Not just concepts in the world or news, but the Bible. Third question, how often do you find yourself processing and talking about the Bible with your non-Christian friends. Now, for those of you who are not Christians, I got a couple questions for you. I'll flip them around a little bit. How often do you find yourself listening to or reading the Bible? Or how about this? How often do your Christian friends engage with you about the Bible? Now, again, please know that the reason I ask these questions is it has nothing to do with shaming. And I think sometimes uh, we start to feel insecure if we feel like we're not measuring up on on little scales and things like that. The reason I I, I ask you those questions is, is, is in talking to a lot of people about the Bible, I found a few things. I don't have data on this, but this is anecdotal from my experience. Very few Christians on a regular basis, actually do read or listen to the Bible outside of church services. 
There are a lot of times I'll sit down with a Christian and, and they'll want to talk to me about something going on in their life and I'll bring them to some scripture and in, in, in conversation realize they haven't actually ever engaged with the scripture on this idea in their life. I'm surprised by the number of people who call themselves Christians who don't actually ever talk about the Bible with their friends, be they Christian or non-Christian. And here's what's fascinating. Most non-Christians that I know, that I interact with, would love to actually talk to somebody about their faith. They'd love to talk to somebody about the Bible. In fact, if someone's here in one of our services or watching online, they are likely to be a person who would love to talk to somebody about the Bible. And so here's my theory. My theory is many of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, we don't engage with the word of God because even though we've placed our faith in Jesus and we would identify as Christians, we, if we are really honest, we don't actually see value in the Bible. And the thing is, I think part of that is the church's fault. Um, because, you know, the church hasn't really handled uh, the Word of God very well um, historically. I mean, some Christians have used the Bible as a weapon. Have you ever heard the term Bible thumper? Yeah, right? <laughs> we've used the Bible as a weapon, or we've used the Bible as a self-help tool, something to, to, uh, to give us tips and tricks for having a better life or a better marriage or a better family, or we've used it as a book full of inspirational stories that might be the same as any other inspirational book that we read. But the Bible is so much more than that. And so what we're going to talk about today is our core value at RIV around the Bible, that we as a church family want to be biblically holistic and humble. And what, it, what do we mean when we say we want to be biblically holistic and humble? Well, um, what we're going to do today, um, if you have your Bibles with you, which I do encourage, by the way, um, flip, tap, swipe uh, your way over um, to the book of 2 Timothy. Um, and by the way, I have a friend who always says the, uh, the, the joy, uh, a pastor's favorite sound is the, the sound of people flipping pages. Um, for me, I just have to deal with the, 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 the glow on your face of your screen as you swipe. But um, anyway, so 2 Timothy, uh, all the way back in the end of your Bible. So if you're somebody who's new to your Bible, it's kind of way back in the end here. It goes kind of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and first and second Thessalonians, and first and second Timothy. It's right there way at the end. Okay. So there's this guy by the name of Paul, and he wrote this letter. And in this letter, he's writing it to his protege, Timothy, at the end of his life. And so Timothy, or Paul knows that his, his life is ending. He is in prison. He knows things are wrapping up. So he wants to say some really important stuff to this protege to this young pastor that he has been mentoring. And a lot of what he writes to him is about why the Bible is so important. So let's just jump in right in the middle of his letter, just to make it confusing. 2 Timothy 3, verse 13, he writes this. He says, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. So in this short sentence, what Paul is describing is the world in which Timothy is doing his ministry. And what he's saying is that there's some people in this world who are deceiving other people, but the reason they're deceiving other people is that they themselves are deceived. Now, 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 now pay attention to what he's saying because there's some really important distinctives in here. The first distinctive is he's saying there is some stuff in this world that's true, right? 
and other stuff that is error. And some people are deceived into believing something that is not true. And when you're deceived into believing something, you actually think it's true. Deep down in your bones, you think that this is true, right? But it is not true. You've been deceived. The second thing he's implying is that once somebody has been deceived, um, they bring kind of other people along with them in their deception. But I also think that there's another nuance here. He did just use the words evil and um, imposters, which are kind of heavy language. But the reason these people believe this is because they've been deceived. They may not even realize that. I want you to hold on to that because it will become important. Look at the next verse. In verse 14, he says, but as for you, he's talking to Timothy here, he says, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, you know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, this passage here uh, has this really cool callback in it. Paul is saying to Timothy, there's some true stuff that you believe that you have believed your entire life. I, I've got a friend um, who has six kids, and he was just telling me just a couple days ago, he said his entire goal in parenting his kids is that they will one day have a boring testimony. That if anyone ever t- asked them to tell them their faith story, it, it's not going to be one of rebellion and coming back to Christ. Or anything. He's like, I just want to tell my kids about Jesus and have them always believe it and have their life be just really, really, really a boring testimony at the end of their life. And, and that's kind of Timothy here. Basically, Paul is saying, since you were little, you have believed. Now, why did Timothy believe since he was little? That's the cool callback. You go back to chapter 1, and it says this in verse 5. I recall, Paul says... Your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you also. Isn't that beautiful? He says, Tim, your mom and your grandma, they set the foundation for your worldview. Let me just stop there for a second. For those of you who are parents or grandparents, Do not ever underestimate the imprint you will make on your kids' faith or their lack of faith. It's a wonderful thing to bring your kids to church and to send them down to to Riv Kids for an hour and a half. But the bottom line is that's an hour and a half. They spend the rest of their time with you with you who bring them to church and say that you follow Jesus. And so they come into your home and they watch you and they see how you live and they know whether you actually live out what you say that you believe. Timothy had a godly mom and a godly grandma that instilled in him a love of God and they weren't the only ones. If you go a couple verses later, he says this, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me. This is what Paul says, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. See, we start with this foundation that is laid by parents and grandparents, but then it grows with other people, right? I have four adult children, no grandchildren yet, and I can tell you this. My wife and I may have laid the foundation in our kids' life, but they needed and they continue to need other people. That's why I'm so thankful for our Riv Kids program, our Chaos, which is middle school, which is the greatest name in the world for a middle school ministry, um, Element for high school, the fact that we have an MSU venue at Michigan State. In fact, I remember one of my sons saying to me once uh, about TJ, who's our student ministry director. He said, you know, Dad, I'm so thankful for TJ because without him, I never would have known how to read the Bible. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> like, 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> well, shoot. <laughs> All right. Like, right? But that's the beauty of the church. That is as it should be. We, 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 we can't do it all on our own as parents and grandparents. We have a really important role, but then the church has a huge role as well. And that's what Timothy had in his life. He had his grandma and, and, and his mom, and he had Paul mentoring him. So let's go back to verse 14 again and see what he says. He says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. Right? It's the cool call back there. He said, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures. Sacred means holy. Scriptures mean Bible. Sacred scriptures means holy Bible. He says, you know the sacred scripture, the holy Bible. You've known it your whole life, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus. I love this. He's like, listen, we all need faith in Jesus. And to get faith in Jesus, you, you need to know the Holy Scriptures, the, the Bible. It is through the Bible that you learn, get the wisdom that you need to know that you need to place your faith in Jesus. And he said, and your mom and grandma laid the foundation for that in your life. And here's the thing. That's what makes this book so different. It's not like any other book. It's not like Harry Potter. There's a famous verse in Hebrews that talks about the Bible. And I want you to listen for three phrases while I read this passage. The first is word of God. The second is the word it. And the third is the word him. Got that? Word of God, it, him. Look for those while I read this. Uh, uh, Hebrews 3, or Hebrews 4, starting in verse 12. It says, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Did you catch it? Word of God, it and him. Let me read it again. For the word of God is living and effective, sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit. Like the, the word of God is so sharp, it can cut between your soul and your spirit. Do you know what the difference between a soul and a spirit is? Me neither, but the word of God can cut between it, right? <laughs> that, that, like that, think about that. Like it can cut between those two things we don't know the difference of, right? Uh, joints and marrow, I'm sure. One of you is a surgeon. You know how to cut between joint and marrow. I don't. Um, the Bible can get that. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It is able to go deep down into who you are and what you do and why you do it. And it is able to tell you why you do it. That's how sharp it is. It does that, the word of God. No creature is hidden from him. He, nothing is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So this is more than a book. Here's how to say it. Jesus himself is the word of God. No creature is hidden from him. We will all day, one day, give an account to him. And the Bible is the word of God. It points to the one to whom we will give an account. In that sense, it's a book that is alive. It is effective. It judges our thoughts and, and intentions. I don't even know my own intentions, right? You ever just do stuff and you're like, I don't know why I do that. 
Well, it says the intentions of your heart. Your heart is the decision-making engine of your life. It's the part that, it's your will, right? And so, and so it says, no, the Bible can tell you why you do what you do. It can tell you why you think what you think. And because all of this is true, it's why when I talk to people about Jesus, where they're, they're Christian or non-Christian, like, I try, I don't always get this right, but I try to bring the word of God into the conversation. Because my words are fallible. My opinions are frequently flawed. I am sometimes deceived. I sometimes don't even know it. But the word of God is infallible. It is not flawed. It is true even when I'm false. And that's why we allow the word of God to do the heavy lifting in our lives. It's why we, we bring the word of God to people and share it with them so that it will do its work. There's this wonderful passage in Isaiah. And I want you to look at this imagery. Isaiah 55. It says, for just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I sent it to do. So Friday morning, I was writing the final edit of this message in my home office, which overlooks my backyard. And, and you guys, for those of you who are in Michigan, uh, I don't know if everybody online is in Michigan. But for those of you in Michigan, you know what I was looking at in my backyard on Friday morning. Inches and inches and inches of snow that were not there on Thursday night when I went to bed, right? <laughs> Welcome to spring in Michigan, right? It's time change, sunshine and snow. That's what we have, right? So, so I'm staring at the this, this snow in my backyard. And what, are, what is the snow doing? The snow cannot help itself. It's sitting there and it's going to melt. And when it melts, it's going to saturate the ground. And when it saturates the ground, it's going to nourish the grass and the grass is going to grow. It's going to nourish the dandelions. The dandelions are going to grow up to annoy me, right? It's going to happen. The snow cannot help but do it. That's what snow does. And Isaiah says, that's what the word of God does. It cannot help but do it. It lands on our ears. It soaks into our minds and our souls. And it will do the work that God has sent it to do because it cannot help but do it. It will not return to God without doing what it meant to do. That's why we use the word of God in sharing and encouraging one another. It's why we use the word of God to tell our non-Christian friends about Jesus. It may seem so strange. And by the way, you don't always have to give the address. You know, sometimes I just share a verse with somebody. And, and the, the great thing is I have a horrible memory. So I can't remember where it came from anyway. I know it's in the Bible. You just pull a verse out and share with somebody, Christian, non-Christian alike. So eventually they'll say, where's that stuff coming from? It's coming from a pretty cool book. Anyway, let's go back to 2 Timothy. Verse 16, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says this. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, uh, uh, complete, equipped for every good work. So this passage shows us why it is so important for us to be biblically holistic in a couple different ways. The first comes from the first two words, all scripture, all of it. So the Bible, while it may be bound in one book, it's actually not one book. This is 66 books. 
Um, 66 books, 39 of them were ri- written before the time of Christ. 27 were written about Jesus, about his death, burial, resurrection, and going forward. The whole Bible's about Jesus, but 27 were written after that. It was written in three languages over a period of more than 1,000 years by more than 40 authors on three continents. The human authors include um, Egyptian nobility, a a shepherd, um, a poet, a a Babylonian official, a tax collector, a fisherman, a doctor, a philosopher, rabbi, tent maker dude, um, just all kinds of authors. Uh, These pages have geological surveys and architectural specs and travel journals and genealogies and population stats and inventories and poetry and erotic poetry. Um, and now you're going to read your Bible, aren't you? Um, and scads of legal documents and stories and stories and stories and stories and stories. And all of it was inspired by God. All scripture is inspired by God. And all scripture is profitable for us. Now, of course, we need to know how to read it. We need to read poetry like it's poetry. Ah, see, we read history like it's history. We, 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 so we read it as, as it's intended, and we learn from all of it. Now, look at these categories that Paul uses for how it's profitable. What does he say? He says it's profitable for teaching. Well, that's just general instruction, right? It's profitable for rebuking. Rebuking is pointing out sin. It helps us see what is sin in our lives. It's, it's useful for correcting. Correcting is fixing our wrong thinking. It's, it's useful for training in righteousness. By the way, the word training literally means child training. It's like training us like a child is trained uh, to follow after their father, right? Uh, teaching us to walk in God's ways. Completing, that means getting us, making us complete, right? And equipping, equipping us for every good work. And that's the point. As we saw last week, we were created by God to do good in this world, to represent him as we tell people about Jesus. So let me just stop for a second, because this is the concern that I have. Too many people that I know who love the Bible, they aren't in the community doing good and loving people. They're signing up for every Bible study they can get their hands on, reading every theological book they can get their hands on, listening to every podcast about the Bible that they can, and they're not in the community loving people and telling them about Jesus. And on the flip side, a lot of my friends who love to be in the community and do good, they stop short of telling people about Jesus. And often when I talk to them, it's because they're not spending any time in the word that is challenging them to do so. Both extremes keep us from telling people about Jesus. So you could say that a follower of Jesus should apply the whole Bible to their whole selves. And that means not just learning what the Bible has to say, but going out into this world and actually living it. Now, the next thing that Paul says is kind of intense. Chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in kingdom. This is intense. Remember, Paul's writing at the end of his life to a young pastor that he had been training, and he's reminding him of what his job is. And he essentially just said to him, Pastor Tim, you do not work for your congregation. You don't work for yourself. You work for God. You work for Jesus. 
who is going to judge the living and the dead. In other words, one day you're going to stand in front of Jesus and you're going to give account for how you did your job. So that's who you answer to. And then what does he say to him? And by the way, this would be really easy for us to brush off if we're not a pastor, but it's important for us. Listen to what he says. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and they will turn aside to myths. Now, the really obvious question for us is, if we're not pastors, and most of us are not, and Paul is writing to a pastor, right? How do we apply this text to us. Well, I think we can actually do it by working backward <laughs> through the text. The last thing that he said is this. He said, they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Well, what is a myth? Well, a myth is a widely held but false belief. And there will always be a tension between truth, right, on one side, and stuff that is widely believed to be true but is actually not true, right? There will always be a tension in every society around that. And we know that there will be, every, in every society down through history, in every age, there will be people who want to believe um, the myths versus the truth. So how do we know the difference between the myth and the truth so that we're not deceived? Well, let's go backward. The verse before that says, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. This is perhaps the most important sentence in this chapter for us. So let me read it again. The time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. This verse is why social media terrifies me so much. And, and don't get me wrong, I love social media. I told you earlier, I'm on TikTok, right? I'm not making TikToks, because that would be ridiculous. But I'm, 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 I'm on there, right? I'm, I'm all in on social media. Um, but this is what I'm, I'm scared about in social media. Our sinful tendency... Uh, and it's been that way, you know, for forever, is to find people who will tell us what we want to hear. Uh, people who will say things um, that validate what we want, um, whether what we want is good or not, right? Um, it'll validate our desires, whether our desires are good enough, right? The way, and, and that's what we always want. And when we find those people, we follow them just in, in regular life, but online, we follow them a lot. So we go, oh, I love what this person has to say. They're telling me what I want to hear. So we click follow. And once we click follow, the algorithm goes, oh, you need more of that. And it kicks us more of the thing that we just liked. And eventually, we're not seeing any of the stuff we disagree with. We're only seeing the stuff that we agree with. And usually, it's the stuff that feeds our desires and our passions, rightly or wrongly, the things that we want to see. And if we never spend any time in the Word of God comparing it to what we're hearing in the rest of the world, we begin to exchange truth for a lie, and we become deceived. And then what happens? We hit share. And then those of us who are deceived end up leading others to be <laughs> deceived. So what is the antidote? Let's go backward. See, I told you going backward helps. I do read the Bible backward a lot. It's actually really helpful because conclusion is usually at the end. Anyway, that's a little tip. 
uh, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Now remember, Paul is challenging this Pastor Tim and his ministry, but I think this applies for all of us. Because if Timothy's charge is to preach the truth of the Bible, regardless of how people respond, no matter what the culture says about what the, the Bible says, he should correct and rebuke and encourage with patience, what should every one of us do as a follower of Christ? The same thing. We should search the Bible in season and out of season. We should find a church that teaches the word of God. We should find views on social media um, that, that are consistent with the word of God. We should always run to the Bible to look and ask ourselves, is what I'm seeing in this world true? Is this church teaching the truth of scripture? Is it watering down the Bible? We gotta figure that stuff out. And here's the deal. Pastors will fail. Churches will fail. They will get this wrong. I've gotten this wrong. We all have. <laughs> But there's a great Latin phrase for this because there's a Latin phrase for everything. In the time of the Reformation, there was this Latin phrase, and this is it right here. Semper Reformenda Secundum Verba Dei. Right? Yeah, none of us know Latin. So here it is. Always being reformed according to the word of God. This is a core principle of Christianity. We should always be changing based on the word of God. I had someone ask me recently, hey, when was the last, in your, in your life, have you ever changed your mind on any of your theological views? I'm like, yeah, most of them. Outside of the core stuff about Jesus, I've changed a lot because the word of God has changed things in me. And this is an important gut check for all of us. What is the final decider in our lives? Is it the culture outside of us? Is it what we desire inside of us? It should be. This book. I was talking to a friend of mine recently who had some really, really strong theological views. He's a pastor friend of mine. Um, and he has this really strong theological views. And he started reading this, this one particular author. And the author disagreed with him on his theological views quite a bit. And he was just like, um, he, said, he, he said, I've never been in such an argument with somebody who's never met me before. He said, I'm reading his books. I'm going, no. And then we're, we, he said, we had a lot of fights and he's never met me. And so we, we fought. I fought with the book and I kept going back to the Bible. And I kept going, well, he's got to be wrong. And I kept studying the Bible and I kept studying the Bible and reading his book. And I finally, he said, I yelled across my house to my wife, dang it, I'm wrong. <laughs> and he said, the Bible was teaching something that was so different than what he initially thought. But because the Bible said it as a follower of Christ, he was like, okay, I need to change my theology. Listen to that. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience. I love that. With great patience. That's how we should approach the word of God and teaching the word of God. Because we're all growing on this thing together. Since we're going backward, let's go way backward. Two chapters. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22 he says this, he says to, to Timothy, flee from youthful passions. And by the way, I don't think youth, youthful passions thinks what you think it means. <laughs> I don't think he's thinking about all the stuff that we normally think are youthful passions. I think because of the context of this passage, he is talking about the youthful passion to turn everything in life up to 11. 
and I can prove it from this text. This is what he's talking about. Because he says, we all, right, when we're younger, all of us have been young, right? Remember that? Everything was a, an 11 issue, right? There was nothing that was a three issue. Everything was 11, right? So l- let's go through this. Flee from youthful passions. Run away from turning everything up to 11, I'd say, and pursue something else. Run away from this and pursue righteousness Faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from pure heart. So, right, get a new tribe, a tribe that is running after Jesus, run with them, and reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. See? Do you see it? See, the youthful tendency, the youthful passion, turn everything up to 11. He's like, when you start running with Jesus and you start running with people who are running with Jesus, you stop arguing about everything. Reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know they bring quarrels. You know that there's some stuff that you are not going to get baited into the stupid arguments. But instead, he says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, and there it is again, patient. This is how we approach the word of God. Some arguments that people want to make about the Bible and about everything else in life are foolish and stupid, and we should not get baited into every single argument. Are you listening, Twitter? Right? We shouldn't get baited into every single argument because some arguments are important to have. And in the important to have arguments, what should our posture be as Christians? We are gentle. We are patient. He says, able to teach, which I think means stand for the truth of the word. And so this has to be our tone. And let me just say this bluntly. If this cannot be your attitude and tone when you're debating scripture, then don't get into the debate. So here's what that means for us. As followers of Jesus, we should be humble in our posture towards scripture. Does that mean that we don't stand firm? No, we stand firm. Well, what is he, he, this whole passage has been about standing firm. We stand firm with a posture of humility. We're humble toward God who wrote scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's all inspired by God. We're humble toward him. And we say, you get to be the final decider on what I believe. We're humble to the, the 40 some authors of scripture and what they initially intended to mean. And sometimes that's hard to find, but we, we're, try, we're humble toward them. And then we're humble toward other faithful followers of Jesus who come to a different interpretation of the passage than we do. As long as we stand firm, I don't know if you were here during the bucket message, we stand firm on the firm stuff, the Apostles' Creed stuff that we just went through, the, fir- the, the core of our faith, then we have a humility in how we talk about that. Why? Because we all have the same goal. It's the last verse of this passage. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do their will. In other words, there are people who are captive, but they don't know they are. There are people who are deceived, but they don't know that they are. And so our humility in sharing the truth of the gospel, applying the whole Bible to our whole selves, and then having a humble posture toward other people is one of the keys to unlocking that trap in their lives. Because we aren't what people think that Christians are in our culture. So this is going to be my challenge to you. Commit 
to allowing this book to change the way you think. To allowing this book to be the filter on what you believe. And the only way you can do that is if you know it. And then run with some people who are going to challenge you with this book. And, and tell people about what this book has to say. Engage them with the word and what you're learning in the word. Tell them about Jesus. Sometimes for me, what I need to be inspired by is someone way younger than me. Because as we get old, let's admit it, we get stuck in our ways. And so that's why I want to wrap up today by introducing you to a 16-year-old in our church family who I'm hoping will inspire you the way that she has inspired me. Check this out. So I was involved with chaos and element. I would just go through the week, go to school, be okay, but then I'd go to chaos and element and I would just, I just feel like myself, like I could be myself and just let myself be me, I guess. There's not a whole lot of people that want to follow God in high school culture, like partying and like using different substances and stuff. And I just see like the effects it has on those people. They just want to do their own thing. And it's been really hard. I've had to like let go of some of my friends because they don't have the same morals as me or like agree in some way. But then again, like I just go home and I just remember that it's worth it. That like it's hard, but it's really worth it. And then like I've just seen Jesus work in my life and so many people I know and just like totally take something and transform it. And so I just really believe in that and like that like he is who he says he is and like he can do what he says he can do because I've seen it in my own life. Like some of my friends, I would like go down the wrong path or something. I've seen like I've invited them to youth group or something and they would just love it and keep coming back and I could just see them change and like the light come back in their eyes. Or um, this one's kind of sad, but my grandpa, like after my grandma passed, he just like always kept the faith like the whole time, just seeing him and how hard that was, but he still just kept the faith and I just knew that it was something about it. It's really real. Say I have a bad day or like I'm going through something like rough. Um, it's just easier for me to go on my phone and just like mindlessly scroll through my apps or something um, instead of going read the Bible. But after enough times of doing that and not feeling any type of better, I finally just didn't feel like it, but I just got up and started reading and I just knew that that was a lot more important to do than go to TikTok or Instagram or something um, and it would actually help me in the long run. Romans 12, 2, that verse, do not conform to the ways of this world, instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's like my favorite verse, I think, um, because especially being a teenager, I'm 16, just being in high school and living a godly life and trying to um, just walk with God, like it's hard, but it's really worth it. I have like some of my close friends in my life, they like, keep me accountable and help keep me on track and myself I just know what it brings like it brings me so much calmness and peace and all the fruits of the spirit working in my life and just being produced and I just know that's what I need to do and it just keeps me on track I just think it's really real how 
Riv isn't just like as we go on our walk toward Jesus or anything and they just say like as we stumble because that's the reality of our lives that like it won't be perfect and we'll go through a lot and um, our faith will be tested a lot but we'll stumble and we'll get there. It just makes me want to be able to love and forgive others because like I'm loved and forgiven and gives me understanding of why because it's easy to like wonder why am I here. Um, but it really gives me purpose and understanding that God has a plan for me and that I'm really here for a reason. It's, it's good. I don't know.